0: the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. Be a great day coming up ahead. I'm looking forward to spending time with you. I hope your day's been going well. The weekend's here. And yesterday we were talking about shepherds with uh, Sean Winters out of Ezekiel 34. And I went over and read that again last night and just um, realizing that there is an interesting amount of uh, things we can learn about being sheep. Um psalm twenty three will teach us some ezekiel thirty four will teach us some there's about four hundred references to sheep in scripture and about a hundred to God being and Jesus being the good shepherd i don't know if you know about Shrek the sheep. he became famous several years ago and he was found after hiding out in caves for about six years during that time his His fleece grew without anyone there to shear it. so when he was found and shaved, his fleece weighed about sixty pounds most. Sheep have fleece weighing just under 10 pounds. Uh, So (laughs) Shrek carried about six times the regular weight of his fleece simply because he was away from his shepherd. Of course, that reminds me of John 10 when Jesus calls himself a shepherd and his followers are his sheep. Maybe we, with our wandering hearts, look a lot like Shrek sometimes. If we uh, avoid Christ's constant refining of our character, we're going to accumulate that extra weight, a weight that we can't bear and we don't have to bear. So, anyway, Shrek was uh, finally sheared by a professional and took 28 minutes and they took off about 60 pounds of weight. So, <laughs> whatever weight you might have to take off today, let's uh let's give it to the Lord. Let's turn it over in prayer. So, we got a great show. Dr. Alex McFarland will be joining me. He's uh running just I think a minute or two late so he'll be coming on the program in just a bit. And then uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman will be joining me, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, uh, Nebraska. We're going to talk about the baptism of Jesus, very amazing passage out of the first chapter of Mark. And then in the second hour, uh, Dr. Brad Sickler's got a a new book. We're going to hear from him again. It's called God on the Brain. There's a lot to learn from that. It's a fascinating read and Brad's a fascinating guy. So that's all coming up ahead today on the program. So um, let me know if you have um, any prayer requests. We did that yesterday during Guy Talk, and that was amazing. I heard uh, from some people that had some urgent prayer requests, and I always want to be aware of what it is I can be praying for you, whether it's on the show or it's over the weekend. Uh, Either way, it would be great to know uh, what it is. We as a staff here at Faith Radio can be praying for you what we can do to um, to help you in your walk. And if you have uh, any suggestions for show ideas or any guests you'd like me to get on to, I mean, it's a new year. Let me know what they are. You can always send me a text message if if you like at 877 2484 or you can uh, send me an email at bill at myfaithradio.com. So those are the two uh, two easiest ways to get a hold of me. Um, so if you have not um, uh, contacted Faith Radio before and you would like a new welcome packet, we'd love to send it to you, tell you all kinds of things about the show. And you can get to learn about us and our program and our hosts and everything else. And we'd love to send that to you. So you can go right to MyFaithRadio.com and and request a, a welcome packet. All right. Uh, I think we're going to take a very short break and then see if we've got Dr. Alex McFarland or not. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're trying to connect with our good friend, Dr. Alex McFarland. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty, but we're going to try to get him on his uh, phone number. And then uh, he will uh, join us here in just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about how we're spending our time in the new year. And it's important uh, that we make a good use of our time, uh, how we spend it, our opportunities, whether they have been seized or lost, whether you've had good times or bad. Uh, We're going to talk about that with Alex. I believe he's uh, already ready to join us. Alex, welcome.
1: Hi, Bill. It's great to hear your voice. Happy New Year.
0: (laughs) Let me tell you, it's nice to hear your voice, because uh, up until now, it was uh, just me wondering if you were going to be able to make it.
1: Well, for all the listeners, a little bit of radio backstory. Um, I was connected, and I could hear you guys. And uh, for some reason, you guys couldn't hear me, but we will use the phone this time, and get all the uh, transmitters and gizmos uh, dialed in for next time, won't we?
0: Sweet. We will indeed. I, w- I want to talk about, as we get the New Year started, I want to talk about time and how we spend it. You know, I, Psalm 90 in verses 3 and 4 says, you turn back, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. So we, I think we we always struggle with time. I'd like for you to talk about opportunities that we have lost or whether or not we are overblowing our past, um, dealing from our hurts. Um, are we grateful? Are we are we hurt? Um, and our past thoughts shouldn't dominate or control
2: us.
1: Wow, Bill. I, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned Psalm 90. By the way, what a blessing to be on with you, my you. friend. Uh, likewise. The minute you mentioned time, I was thinking about Psalm 90 because very famously, now folks listen to this, very famously Psalm 90 verse 12 says, "Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom or or gain a heart of wisdom." Now, it's interesting, Psalm 90 talks about Lord you've been our dwelling place in all generations and thank God for that.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: we do return back to dust. You know, we live our life. And uh, Psalm ninety very famously says, you know, if, if we live seventy years, three score and ten, you know, that that's a long life. Maybe by reason of strength we might live to be eighty. But even that, says verse ten, is just trouble and sorrow. Um if if all this life is is just hard work and regret, it would be very sad. But we know there's a sovereign God who loves us, and it says, uh, May the favor of God rest upon us. Lord, establish the work of our hands. So here's a beautiful thing, and and Bill, I think this is going to be a real blessing. It was to me. On New Year's Day, my wife and I were reading this psalm. Okay, in verse 12, where it says, Teach us to number our days. We often think about time. Time is just coming at us and we passively just accept whatever the day throws at us. But the the phrase there, Lord, teach us to number our days, really means destined, like we're to actively destined what the outcome of our life is. And and we might think, well, how do I do that? Listen, believe it or not, the, the choices you make, beginning with your relationship to the Lord, but giving your life to Christ, growing in Christ, letting God give you the roadmap for life, and then becoming what the Lord, you know, made you to be, you really do shape your own destiny. And the last thing I want to say, and I want to throw back to you, Bill, it says apply our heart to wisdom. Two thoughts. For one, literally the Scripture is saying that we are to give back our heart to God shaped by his wisdom and truth you know i think about billy graham billy graham said life is god's gift to us but what we become is our gift back to god Mm. and when psalm 90 verse 12 says apply our heart to wisdom the the word apply there is the same word sometimes used of of an army attacking a city i mean we are to go after truth and wisdom and god's plan for our life with the same zeal of a soldier going into a battle. We want it. We wrap our arms around it. And so we, we in many ways, do destine ourselves. And the way that we achieve God's plan and God's destiny is that we live wisely, and we do it with absolute zeal and commitment.
0: Alex, what would you say to listeners who feel that they've got something from their past that's weighing them down, Maybe they're carrying a lot of extra weight and baggage, just like Shrek the Sheep I was talking about earlier at the top of the hour.
1: Well, that was a great illustration, Bill. That was a wonderful story.
0: Ah, thanks. So there's there's hurt, there's trauma, there's you know, pain, and you know maybe they, have they have they overblown a little bit, or have they are they what what counsel could you give people to get free from some of the bondage?
1: You know. We all do this. I guess it's very common to human nature to lament the past. You know, there's, there's a couple of ways we mishandle the past. We romanticize it to the point that we really don't have a lot of hope for the future, or we, you know, lament the past, and we just say, oh, it's over, and I've blown it, and too many years have gone by. Friend, one of the ways out of that loop or that treadmill of regret, is to understand who god is god is eternal and joel 225 and I, and I, bill i love this i mean i i don't say this lightly and this is not just some platitude god says i restore the years the locust has eaten and think of a crop i mean if if insects or predators tear up your crop you're out of luck till next year and God says, look, I am the God above time, though locust has devoured your crops, or maybe bad decisions, or just regrets. Friend, it, at any moment, and right now is that moment, you can get on God's train. And And if you were to right now pray and say, Lord Jesus, forgive my sins, I need a fresh start, you, you might be 30, 50, 70, 90. I honestly believe whatever time you have left, Bill. Let's say you've got a listener, and and they're maybe they've had you know five decades of disappointments, and they've got thirty years left. Thirty years with God, thirty minutes with God, mm. is better than five decades without Him. And so, do not believe it's over for you, my dear friend. Do not believe. Do not believe your best days are behind you. Uh, the devil wants you to to live in this swamp of this quicksand of discouragement. And uh, Bill, I'll say this, and I'll get off my little soapbox. We serve the God who, three things, created the universe, conquered the grave, and who loves us. That's why the Bible says, "If God be for us, who can be against us?" The God who created all things the God who rose from the dead and conquered the grave, sin and death, and this same God loves us. And I was on the phone this morning counseling with a family who um, has been devastated by one family member who has uh, been caught up in alcoholism. And uh, this man lost a business, lost a marriage, and lost a lot of years through alcoholism. And his question was, is it too late for me? And and the answer is no. If you'll fully embrace Jesus, and so this is as good a time as any for every last nice one of us to recommit ourselves to the God of the right now. You know, I mean, um, fretting over the past is not in any way going to enhance my present, and in fact, probably will hamstring. Today and tomorrow. So please believe. I would say to everybody, please believe that God loves you. Please believe that He's not through with you. And please believe, have the faith to believe in a better day if you'll walk that day with Jesus. Hmm.
0: Alex, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about a stronghold. You know, we we walk in in the flesh, but we do not a war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses this is out of second corinthians 10 in the mm-hmm. new american standard bible um but our our battle is a, not against flesh and blood but against uh spiritual forces and even when you were talking about this person with an alcohol problem i i see that as a as a very big spiritual stronghold in their life and God can deliver you from that stronghold.
1: He he really can. He really can. Uh, You know, Bill, there may be people listening, and they've got loved ones or friends they care about um, that are embroiled in sin and defeat. Or maybe somebody listening, you you know, you've had uh, a setback for the hundredth time. One of the ministries of Jesus, Isaiah 61 and Luke 4:18 18, tell us that he came to set free people that are captives. And sometimes, whether it's um, emotions or substance abuse or, you know, behaviors, we, we get into habits and we find ourselves enslaved. For one thing, Jesus, if he can pay for the sin of the world and come out of the grave alive, he has got the power to set you free. And you know, Bill, I, I think that um, you know, bad thoughts, uh, anger, emotions, self abuse, um, destructive behaviors, alcohol, substance abuse, I mean those those chains can tie us up every bit as much as handcuffs or or bondage. Sometimes the breaking of chains happens with fasting. Um just like you mentioned, the weapons of our warfare mm-hmm. are spiritual, not carnal. And so I say that because if you're a mom or dad praying for a prodigal child or you're trying to see your marriage saved, or you yourself are trying to break a bad habit, you know, from you know, whatever it might be, porn addiction or gluttony or alcoholism, for one thing, folks, and, and I'm I'm gonna be very straight with you. We have got to call sin by its right name and we can't just talk about habits or tendency we have to say lord deliver me from the power of sin and whether it's you yourself trying to make a fresh start or whether it's you interceding for somebody i would encourage you to fast and pray because uh i've seen miracles and i'm not i'm not exaggerating bill I've seen miracles of of people suddenly getting under conviction and wanting to be born again, and they didn't even know people were praying for them. And I've seen people delivered from years of habits through fasting and prayer. And so uh, Louis, I, I want to segue to this bill. We're living in a time our country needs Christ, our government, our culture. And it is time, we may as well, let's get right to it. The church must rediscover the power of the supernatural. You know, we're, we're not just motivational speakers here. We're the children of God handling the tools of eternity. And we have power. Friend, we have power in the name of Jesus. We have power in prayer, power from the Holy Spirit working in our life. And so for those that need hope for those that need a brand new start and for those that need joy uh let's let's give the world what they can't get anywhere else Mm -hmm. and that's the power of the living god
0: alex when i look in matthew chapter 6 in verse 16 jesus says and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites and he didn't say if you fast he says and when you fast
1: yeah yeah, but it, presupposing that his church would not only pray, but when you need breakthrough, fast and pray.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there, there is spiritual breakthrough in fasting and prayer. I'm going to give you an example, and and I may have told this story, but there have been a number of times when um, people were. Uh, asking for prayer for an unsaved loved one. In fact, one woman, I was in a revival meeting, and a woman had uh, had a, lapsed into a coma, and she was not, as far as anybody knew, she wasn't a believer. And so for about three days, I urged this church. We all agreed, and we fasted and prayed. This lady came out of the coma, and her brother, who was a minister, and they weren't especially close, she woke up, She at, she said, Call my brother, I'm not gonna live. I'm I'm gonna die and I'm not ready. He led her to Christ, she lived several more days, then she went back into a coma and did die, but we knew she was ready to die. Uh but but I believe that we we really fought for her soul mm-hmm. in prayer. And I've had families that had a prodigal and uh was an atheist or an agnostic and We would fast and pray, and like I said, they didn't even know we were praying for them. And we had a family that they said this son called out of the clear blue and said, you know, I want to be reconciled to the family, and I need Christ in my life. And, you know, Bill, I I realize when you talk about wielding spiritual power and you talk about getting victories uh, with Jesus— I realize this probably sounds like hokum or something outlandish to those that are outside the church. But do you know what I mean, Bill, when I say we've got to rediscover the power of the supernatural that mm-hmm. um we really do serve the living God. We serve the God who still does miracles, and at this time you know, everybody's talking about the election and the country and, oh, goodness, America is in dire straits. And that's that's for sure. But uh, there's still about 100 million adult evangelical Christians in this country. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of churches and there's still great, great ministries like Faith Radio. And so I have hope for America because of people like Bill Arnold and, and people that say, you know what, we're going to call and we're going to, talk to the Lord, and when we turn our hearts and our prayers to Jesus, things happen.
0: It's a great word, Alex. Um, just as we get the New Year started, this is a, a really wonderful reminder. If if any listener has never had an experience in fasting and prayer, uh, what a great challenge.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, there really is spiritual breakthrough. And, um, you know, uh, Bill Bright of Campus Crusade— course uh, he was pretty big guy when he first did this bill bright of campus crusade once did a hundred day fast now of course he was drinking water and you know you've got to stay hydrated but somebody might begin with a with a one-day fast and let me encourage you plan what you're going to be praying about. And the way a fast works is when your tummy growls and you feel hunger, that's a a physical prompter, a reminder to pray. Mm -hmm. Maybe try a 24-hour fast and pray. And uh, things happen, a three-day fast, a 10-day fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But we serve the living God, and let's remember that we are His emissaries here.
0: Yeah. Alex, thank you so much, and thank you for uh... Your faithfulness to my show and being a regular guest and, and an awesome contributor. Thank you so much.
1: God bless you in the new year and always, my right. dear friend Bill Arnold.
0: Thank you so much. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can head over to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about him. We'll take a little break and we come back. We're going to hear some great teaching from the book of Mark on the baptism of Jesus. Be back in a minute. show, so glad to be welcoming back to the program Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He's the uh, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, and he's uh, on our studio line right now. Brent, welcome.
2: Thank you, Bill. It's it's always good to be with you.
0: And I agree. Thank you. It's nice to be with you, and Happy New Year. I think this is the first time we've had a chance to chat in the new year, so thank you you for coming back and uh, doing the show. I want to talk today uh, out of the first chapter of the book of Mark about the baptism of Jesus.
2: Oh, that's a fun text, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, because something happens that no one would ever expect, especially John the Baptist. <laughs> especially if you look at the parallel account in Matthew three, um, the church uh, when um, the church observed the baptism of Jesus uh, before they observed Christmas. I don't know if people know that. I didn't know that. It, Oh, yeah. This, this, so this is a big deal for Christians from, from the very beginning. It was the baptism of our Lord. So that's why I suggested we talk about it today. Good. So let's get the context. In Mark 1, starting at verse 4, you've got John, and he's baptizing in the wilderness. And notice he proclaims a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And everybody from Judea and everybody from Jerusalem, they're going out to him, and they're being baptized by him and notice it's in the Jordan River. More mm-hmm. on that in a moment. Okay. Right? And then they're confessing their sins. And we all know that John was the precursor. He was the one to prepare the way of the Lord for the Messiah. And then it tells us in verse 6 that John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, just like Elijah did, you know, because he's the promised Elijah. He fulfills mm-hmm. the prophecy, you know, the Old Testament, that the Messiah would come, Elijah would show up. So there he is, John. And he, he eats locusts and wild honey. And he preaches, and he says, you know, after me, there's going to be one who's going to come, and he's mightier than I am, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Then he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John, with his baptizing, people are confessing their sins to him. Uh, and all of his preaching, he's preparing people for the Messiah. And lo and behold, in verse 9, Messiah shows up. Hmm. And what's interesting is, interesting in the New Testament, you know, not much is said about our Lord's early years. You know, we hear about the Annunciation. Uh, we hear about his birth, you know, the the birth in Bethlehem, the shepherds, the magi, their visit, the flight to Egypt. Um, and then when he was 12 years old, Luke records he was in the temple. But then after that, we don't hear anything until this point in time, and Jesus is 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And so in verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And Mark, he's so efficient in his language, unlike the other evangelists, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. <laughs> and, <laughs> and John's really economic. Mm-hmm. His word, okay. And then verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, what I want to do is I want to unpack this for our listeners, because this is just fabulous. First, the context again. John's, John's baptizing what kind of people, Bill? They're sinners, aren't they? Yes, they are. Because he's preaching a, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And you know from the other evangelists, he was calling them to repentance. So his baptism is for sinners. And so what I said to start out was, you know, something happens that no one expected. And here it is, verse 9 jesus shows up does he need to be repented <laughs> No. does he need to confess any sin no <laughs> no he doesn't he does not so what's he doing there you know, you remember in matthew 3 the parallel account matthew tells us that john tries to stop jesus do you remember that
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh and then jesus says well let it be done let, let it be done this way, because we'll fulfill all righteousness. That's Matthew's account. Fulfill all righteousness. And then once Jesus said that to John, then Jesus, cons- or pardon me, John consented, and he baptized Jesus. Fulfill all righteousness. So let's back up a little bit. So John's baptism is for sinners. Jesus is not a sinner. And yet Jesus insists on being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here? Let's unpack it. I would submit to you that Jesus, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is standing now shoulder to shoulder with who? Sinners. What I'm getting at is this, is that Jesus' public ministry begins now. Remember I said we don't hear much about his early days, but now here when he's 30, here is the beginning of his public ministry. And where is he going to go? We all know where he's going. He's going to pull a Good Friday off. He's going to do a Jerusalem Good Friday death, and it begins here in the waters of the Jordan River when Jesus receives baptism by John. Let me say it another way: the people, in the, when the people who come to John, these sinners, get baptized. They're leaving all their sin, if you will, in the world, in the water, and the water is like toxic, poisonous water because it's full of their sin now. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus, the Holy One steps into that water, and he's going to take all that sin in his body, that deadly, toxic pollutant, and he's going to carry it in his body to the cross, and he's going to answer for it in his vicarious, substitutionary death on the cross. That's what Jesus means in Matthew 3 when he says, we will fulfill all righteousness. The righteousness of God, as we learn like from Romans, uh, like in Romans chapter three, the righteousness of God is when God sacrifices his son as the atoning sacrifice for all sin and every sinner. So if people are picking up what I'm throwing down or, or if they're beginning to smell what I'm cooking, <laughs> I think you can begin to see and understand why the, the church from the beginning celebrated this event in our Lord's life even before his birth, because this is the beginning of his public ministry. In which he the sinless one swaps out our sin for his holiness it's a blessed exchange Mm -hmm. that begins right now the holy one takes the sin of the world in his body he's going to answer for it and for those of you who believe in him you receive his righteousness his perfection his holiness there's something else lots lots of things Maybe I should stop there. Maybe you have a question or a comment.
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm just—I'm loving this so far. Continue, if you You're like.
2: You're along for the ride, huh?
0: Yeah, I'm loving the ride right now, yeah.
2: Okay, all right. Well, fasten your seatbelt, <laughs> because this is also an epiphany here, isn't it? Uh, at the baptism, we know who Jesus is, because when he comes up out of the water, Mark, with his—one of his key words in his gospel is immediately— uh, the Greek word eothis is always used in Mark's gospel, and it's read Mark's gospel, folks. Find out how often immediately, immediately, immediately. So immediately, when he comes out of the water, the heaven is to- the heavens are torn open, and that is the correct translation, literally torn wide open. And this is the same verb here in Mark one that is also used after Jesus dies on the cross, and the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. Same verb. So see the connection here between baptism and cross. Mm -hmm. And what's the epiphany? The epiphany is, we hear it from the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased with Him. So when I said an epiphany, I mean a revelation. We are given a peek, if you will, or a look, at who Jesus is. He truly is the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh, and he has come to save sinners from all their sins and all its damnation. And therefore, the Father, that's why the Father says, I'm well pleased with him, because the Father has sent him to do that very task. And that then leads us to the Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove. So, you know, Isaiah prophesied this. When Messiah come, Messiah would be, what, full of the Spirit or empowered by the Spirit. And so Jesus, beginning his public ministry, which will climax on the cross, Jesus is now empowered by the Spirit to do this task of saving the world that begins right here in his baptism. So now I want to say something else, just so people don't misunderstand. I'm not not trying to denigrate or diminish our Lord's birth, etc., you could you could also argue that that is the beginning of his trek to Calvary, okay? And I would agree with that. But I'm emphasizing this for our discussion today, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Kuhlman, you know. Kuhlman, the teacher, he'll push it for all that it's worth to <laughs> okay. make the point, all right? <laughs> yes. All right. So again, this is a revelation so that you trust that this is this is the Son of God who's come to save you. And of course, you know from the other Gospels, and including Mark, and when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the Father's voice again. This is my son. I love him. But at the Transfiguration, listen to him, all right? Mm-hmm. Let's have some more fun with this, shall we? Oh, absolutely. Let's talk about, let's talk about the Jordan River, because I said earlier, I emphasized that John was baptizing in the River Jordan. And I don't think... <laughs> I'll go out on a limb here. I don't think we fully appreciate or apprehend what our Lord's baptism means until we understand the place of the Jordan River in the history of the Bible, and in particular, the history of the Old Testament people of Israel. So let me unpack that for our listeners. You remember that the Jordan River was like the borderline, if you will, uh, between two Uh, mm, uh, two lands, if you will. The wilderness, from which the Israelites had been wandering for 40 years, and what else? The promised land. Mm -hmm. And I'll push this, let's push it some more. So you remember when you read Deuteronomy that Moses, of course, was not allowed or not permitted to cross the Jordan to the promised land. Because, you know, as John says in John chapter 1, Moses and the law uh, can only... They can't bring you to the promised land. The law doesn't save you, in other words. That's what I'm trying to say. They can only bring you to the edge of the wilderness, the threshold. But who, who does lead the Israelites into the promised land through the Jordan River? It's Joshua. He was the one who, who succeeds Moses, and he leads the people across the parted Jordan River. Mm-hmm. Read the text very carefully in the Old Testament. The Jordan parts, and it, it all just piles up on one side. <laughs> and so if you remember the story in Joshua 4, God told Joshua to mark that crossing place with 12 stones to memorialize this event so that the children of Israel would never forget something. Never forget what? Never forget that they entered the promised land through what? The water of the Jordan.
0: Wow, wow. Okay.
2: Are and you
0: following this? I am following it and loving it. However, I do need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll pick up right where we left off. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Go to trinitymurdoch.com. We'll be right back. I'm back with Pastor Brent Coolman. Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We're talking about the first chapter, the book of Mark, the baptism of Jesus, and I'm I'm re- being reminded of some mind blowing things about the Jordan River. <laughs>
2: I told you this was fun. <laughs>
0: this is very fun. This is very fun.
2: So before the break, I was trying I was trying to illustrate from the scriptures that it was jo- it was Joshua that led the people of Israel in Joshua 4 through Mm. the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Oh, and by the way, side note or sidebar, if you will, you know, Joshua, the name is Yeshua, Jesus. Mm. I don't think that's a coincidence. (laughs) No, I don't either. And so my point is this. So as Jesus then in Mark 1 stands in the Jordan, I would contend that he now stands as the new... And last, Joshua, leading not just the the Israelites, because in Mark 1 it says that, you know, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. So just like in Joshua Joshua 4, just as all Israel went into the Promised Land through the Jordan River, so now the second or the last Joshua, Yeshua in the flesh, if you will, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity in the flesh— he now leads not only Israel into the promised land, but I would contend the entire world into the promised land of eternal life. How? Through the Jordan River, which is to say through his baptism in the Jordan River. Now, if I can do some more uh, fun with this, uh, let's remember from the Old Testament, because I want to push this for all that it's worth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, you remember from the Old Testament in Second Kings chapter 2. Mm-hmm that the waters of the Jordan, they were parted for the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, mm-hmm, you remember, mm-hmm. uh, when Elijah ascended, now I, I emphasize that word, ascended into heaven in a fiery chariot. And so now, again, in the water of the Jordan, we have a picture, if you will, for lack of better terminology, we have a picture of Jesus being listed up in glory— drawing all men to himself, opening heaven to earth. And I, that's why I'm making this point because in Mark 1 it says that when he immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. So just like in our Lord's birth, when heaven breaks open and the angels sing and the angel preaches, because with Jesus, God has come down to earth and dwells with us. And so with uh, uh, heaven is now open to us sinners. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You also remember from 2 Kings 5, I'm pushing Jordan River some more. Do you remember that the waters of the Jordan brought healing to somebody? Mm -hmm. Do you you know know who I'm going to next? Naaman, Mm -hmm. the Syrian. And remember, I said Syrian. He's an enemy of Israel. This is in 2 Kings 5. And, you know, Naaman had this disease that would kill him. It was called leprosy. And he went to go talk to the prophet Elisha. And just to make the long story short, you remember Elisha didn't even come out to talk to uh, Naaman. He sent a a gopher to talk to him. Right. But the point is is (laughs) that Elisha told Naaman, here's what you need to do, buddy. You go dip or wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. That was the command. And then there's a promise you'll be healed. So, command and promise. It's both words, words of the Lord, command and promise. Wash seven times. Where? in the Jordan River, the promise, you'll be healed. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, Mark 1, I would contend that here in Mark 1, with the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a picture of our Lord's universal reign of salvation, that his Good Friday healing of the leprosy of sin and death extends now to the entire world, even who? His enemies, just like God's grace and mercy, was extended to an enemy of Israel, Naaman. So the baptism of our Lord, man, this this is just it's just huge stuff here. It is. There's more I can say about this. We've got time, don't we? Oh, we sure do. Okay. Let's not forget that in the Bible, you know, I mentioned that Jesus is like the second and the last or the greater Joshua. Mm-hmm. You
3: know?
2: He's also the second and the last Adam. You know, Paul, Paul speaks of him that way in First Corinthians 15. He also hints of this in Romans chapter 5. So at the baptism of our Lord, God in the flesh is baptized. And because Jesus, God in the flesh, is baptized, humanity, I would contend, is cleansed because Jesus is the head of a new humanity. He's the second and the last Adam. So whereas Adam is is the head of a fallen humanity, so now Jesus is the head of a redeemed humanity. New humanity. So, what our, what Jesus does, everything that Jesus does in His ministry, and what we're talking about now, His baptism in the Jordan, counts for all of us. So, as the head of a new humanity, the second and the last Adam, Jesus, as He's He's not just He's not baptized for Himself, He's baptized for the entire world. And I would contend that in Jesus Christ, then the whole world now is covered with a gracious flood, because Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. You know, Paul does this similarly with circumcision. Remember in the New Testament? Mm-hmm. You remember Paul had to deal with these circumcisers that said, you know, you, can't, you ain't a Christian unless you've been circumcised. And if yeah. you ain't circumcised, you, okay? You remember what, how Paul deals with that in Colossians? I'll just do it off the top of my head here so you, you folks can look this up uh, on your own. But in Colossians, Paul deals with these people who say, you've got to be circumcised to be a Christian. And Paul says, let me, let me tell you, folks take a deep breath, relax. When Jesus got circumcised, when he was eight days old, he was circumcised for you. So God now considers you to be circumcised because Jesus was circumcised. The point being, Jesus kept all of the law in our place perfectly. And that's what he's doing here as well in his baptism. He's doing everything perfectly to save us. So as God once baptized the earth in a flood, remember Noah's flood? Mm -hmm. And he promised with... uh, uh, the rainbow, never to destroy the earth with water again. I would contend here in Mark 1, God immerses the whole world then in, in the person of his son, Jesus, because Jesus is the head of a new humanity, or he is the world reduced to one man. Uh, Paul, you remember in Second Corinthians 5, Paul says, when Christ died, who, di- who died? All died. See, this is the biblical theology I'm giving you. So the new and the second Adam, then, whose headship means life for the world, is why he gets baptized in the Jordan River, and when he gets baptized, it counts for all of us. So the the epiphany of our Lord in the baptism is that he is the the Son of God, and Bill, you're baptized, aren't you? Mm -hmm. So am I. And so In our baptism, when we were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that too was a revelation to us, an epiphany, namely that we are children of God, and the Father loves us, and we have now been equipped with the Spirit to be Christians in the world for good, you know, to love people and take care of people, okay? You know, our our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and why, why is that? because our bodies have been given the divine and saving name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think we talked about that in a previous episode, didn't we, Matthew 28? Yeah, we did. And so, when, when, you're bap- so you're, when you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Father gives himself to you. When you're baptized in the name of the Son, Jesus gives himself to you, and everything that he has is Good Friday gifts. And when you're baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is for you and gives you himself. So that's my point. Um, Just as Jesus was equipped with the Holy Spirit to carry out his task, his salvific task of saving the world, so in our baptism, we are revealed to be the children of God. God loves us, and we are now equipped for our daily life as Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit to speak his word to people like this. Give you an example. You see somebody on the street, you meet them, you talk to them, you have a little conversation. Maybe it's at a restaurant, Maybe you're social distanced or whatever in Mass, but nonetheless, you might ask the person, do you believe in Jesus? Do you worship the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received baptism the way he mandated it in Matthew 28? Would you like to be a believer too, like me? (laughs) And that's the Holy Spirit at work. Mm -hmm. Try and do what? Convert these people. Get Mm -hmm. them baptized too. (laughs) <laughs>
3: oh,
0: Brent, we could talk about so much more. You've just, uh, you're have just you a really gifted communicator, and I so have enjoyed this time uh, on, on Mark chapter 1. Thank you so much for taking time to do this today.
2: My pleasure. God's peace be with all of you.
0: God's peace with you. Pastor Brent Kuhlman's been my guest at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Coming up next, Dr. Brad Sickler will be uh, coming on the program, talking about his book, God on the Brain, what cognitive science does and does not tell us about faith, human nature, and the divine. Be right back.